Hey everybody and welcome to Conversations with Healthcare Heroes. I'm very excited to bring this conversation to you. It's, it's part one of a two-part conversation with Liza Lounsbury. Liza is a registered nurse with a master's degree in nursing and she has incredible experience. She has worked in the intensive care units at multiple hospitals in South Carolina uh, as an outpatient nurse for the South Carolina Department of Mental Health and currently serves in a leadership role overseeing an integrated team of healthcare workers and support staff. And again, I found this conversation fascinating on many levels, not just her way into healthcare and her journey, you know, therein, but also just the impact that nurses have. And I think it's something that personally I didn't appreciate as much because a lot of the impact they have is unseen and she sheds some light on that is truly they are the backbone of our system. So I hope you enjoyed part one of our two-part conversation. As always, the views expressed in this program are of the host and the guest. They are not meant to serve as medical advice in any way, shape, or form. Individuals seeking medical advice, guidance, and expertise for questions and concerns related to their own health should always consult a physician. And without further ado, here's another conversation with the healthcare hero. Hey, Liza, how are you? I'm doing well, Doug. How are you today? Good. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. I've, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. You are the first RN that we have had on the program. So I'm excited to hear your story. Oh, that's an honor. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, cool. so real quick, give us a just a brief kind of background of kind of what you're doing now and kind of how long you've been in medicine and and We'll dive in deeper a little bit, but just as a quick kind of quick overview. Sure. Um, ooh, brief overview. <laughs> That's the thing about nursing. There's so many things we can do. So uh, I've been a nurse for 17 years and I've pretty much done a little bit of everything. So um, inpatient, your traditional ICU, sometime in ER, some recovery room. I've also done outpatient work such as mental health. Um, I've worked with case management for Medicare, Medicaid, um, and I've taught, I've been a manager, I've been a bedside nurse, um, helped put together an Ebola team. I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff you can do with nursing. Wow. So, uh, and most of my experience, I would say, has been because I was pulled. Hey, mm -hmm. Liza, would you do this or come join us here? Or have you checked out this unit or this place needs a blah, blah, blah. And I'm the, Okay. Um, so similar, like the mental health center, I was the nurse that would take care of the kids and the adults because okay. why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I love to learn new skills and currently I am in a leadership role, um, managing a group of case managers, providing care to, uh, Medicare, Medicaid patients. So okay. the state of South Carolina and a few counties in Florida. Okay. How long have you been in that role? Just about two years, um, my two-year anniversary is coming up, so okay. almost two. Well, fantastic. Well, congratulations in advance. It's, uh, that's good. <laughs> Real quick, tell, tell us, how'd you, how'd you get into medicine? What inspired you to, to become, go into nursing? So my dad is a doctor, um, and when, my, when I was a kid, uh, we, I used to love going to the hospital to see him at work. So he used to work in the emergency room. And he did that for about 20 years, a little bit less than that. He also worked private practice. He did family practice. 
Um, but it was always exciting to me. And I loved hearing his stories. Um, I love the fact that he was always reading medical journals about the latest and greatest breakthroughs in medicine. And so I would hear him on conversations, even if it was with a neighbor or um, while he's sewing my friend's toe that fell off. I remember that when I was a kid. And he was explaining, you know, the, the reason we do these things now is because we've learned over the past so-and-so years that blah, blah, blah leads to blah, 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 which is better. And mm -hmm. so he was always a teacher. Um, and I was just fascinated by it. So when I went to apply for college, I actually went pre-med okay. and got into Clemson and Carolina and a few others. Um, and then when I was sitting in one of my classes for senior year of high school, they were go we were going around saying what we were going to do when we grew up. And this one girl said, I'm going to be a women's health nurse practitioner. And after class, I was like, what is that? So, and then she said, you know, it's basically like being a doctor, but for half the time, <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought, oh, okay, so maybe I'll go that route. So I started looking into it. Um, nursing school looked really cool. You're done in four years and you get to be in the hospital. So I was on the fast track to medicine. Um, wow. And that's what I did. That's cool. So how old were you when you first started going to the hospital with your dad? You, I mean, did you remember? I remember it probably around the age of five. Okay. Wow, um, that's really so early. Yeah. yeah. And I remember so, we'd have to like wait in a room and he'd be busy and all we could see under the curtain were his feet. Um, <laughs> but we would hear the beeps and the dings and hear yeah. the moans of the people. Um, and he was always well-respected by his peers. So I admired that. Now, was did he have a family member that was in medicine prior or was he the first one in the family? No, I don't believe anyone above him was. Okay. Um, and none of his brothers or sisters were. Uh, actually, it's a funny story because one of his brothers is an attorney. And growing up, whenever we were together with um, dad and brother, there were always arguments about what was better, being a doctor or being an attorney. <laughs> I bet Those that was entertaining. You know, for hours. <laughs> I'm sure. So you got this introduction to like literally frontline medicine at the age of five, six, seven. And did you know, you know, that if that that that's that's what you wanted? I mean, I know if you don't think like that necessarily at the age of five, but is was that kind of what grabbed your attention and and kind of create that spark of interest? I, I do think so. So it was, you know, and it was probably because dad was also my hero. Yeah. Um, you know, he was the best at everything. So if that's what he does for work, I should probably do the same thing. Yeah. Um, and he was so good. He's still so good at it. Uh, he hasn't even retired yet. So yeah. actually he texted me the other day, he was retaking his boards. Mind you, the last time he took them, he said, I promise you, this is the, this is the last time. Because <laughs> it's like 10 years, right? <laughs> every, is it 10 years? I or, think it's every five. Or five years. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it may be 10, but uh, anyway, so I just yeah. chuckled and said, okay, we're taking it again, huh? He said, yeah. So I think it was a combination of the excitement that I saw in his workplace Mm -hmm. The fact that that was one of really the only professions that I was exposed to outside of like what my teachers did at school. And then the fact he was someone that I truly admired. Yeah. Did the science stuff come easy for you or is it something in school oh, yeah. that you have to work at? Oh, yeah. I don't. That is that is my it, brain, too. And is that right? Math and science just come like this. Try to get yeah. me out of paper. Actually, my um, freshman year professor for English 101 after he read my first paper, he, 
he pulled me aside. He said, we've got some work to do. I said, oh gosh, I'm sorry. And he said, Tell, you know, what, where's the disconnect? I was like, I, I just don't think in papers. Yeah. Um, and so he said, well, what do you do? What do you think in? And I said, you know, science and math makes sense to me. And he turned my paper into a mathematical equation. Oh, okay. And like this plus this minus yeah. that equals this, which then you have to divide by blah, blah, blah. And you're going to take three of these. And that's going to, you know, as long as all these pieces are in there, your equation's finished. Yeah. And I passed every paper after oh, that. That's awesome. That's a, yeah. that's a good little hack for, for the, the math mind. You were people. smart. Yeah. 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 And obviously it stuck, it stuck with you ever, you, you still use that trick at all? Well, when I, I ended up going to graduate school um, and our teachers explained the rubric that they wanted us to follow. And I thought that was brilliant. And it kind yeah. of followed the same principles of the math equation. Right. So, um, but I will say that my writing over the years has, has definitely improved. Yeah. Well, that's good. So you get into undergraduate then. And is that a, a, a BSN that you're studying for? That's a BSN. It, okay. Um, it's four years. Four years, right. So, right. well, if, if you're lucky. So nursing right. school is, is, is super tough. And um, I, the hardest thing I've ever done to this day. And it's all based on GPA. So you do the first okay. two years and that's called lower division. Um, second semester, sophomore year, you apply into upper division. So by then you have to have the top five, 10% of the GPAs of the people applying into the oh, wow. division. And the cutoff there is usually like 3.7. Um, yeah. So sometimes it takes a couple of tries to get in. And then once you get in, you have to maintain that. So uh, it was an awesome experience. The four years, the last two, you're with a group and you do your clinicals. And so it's like being with a family. And to this huh. day, um, the women and the few men that I went through nursing school with, that's the most amazing group of people I've ever experienced life with. So, so what's that like? Are you guys all in the same, the same location? Are you in the same, you stay in the same group the whole time or they split you up? Like how, how does that work? So there's about 45 of us total in the graduating okay. class. And then each clinical would be around, um, seven or eight students and so you would have one clinical instructor with a group of eight students, and those would rotate depending on which topic you're studying. You could be studying um, med surge, which is your usual, like, how do the kidneys work? How does the mm -hmm. brain work? Um, or you could be doing pediatrics, obstetrics, geriatrics. So whatever the specialties were was what your clinical was focused on. So it, it mm -hmm. changed depending on the classes. And is it, how long do those typically last those rotations a set a semester so a you semester. would do okay um I want to say two or three clinicals per semester so by the time you're done I guess it was two you'd finish all eight okay and are you working part-time in the meantime or are you full-time student like how yeah you're actually during parent orientation that first day before freshman year the parents are all um informed that their students if they wish to graduate from nursing school will not be working because there's just no time. It's a, it's that big of a commitment. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. You better believe the summers and holidays. I was busting my rear end. <laughs> <I'll bet. laughs> Trying to make as much cash as possible. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Oh man. I bet that's uh yeah, that's, I guess we, a lot of us, you know, your business degree, you kind of take that free time for granted, but uh, I guess y'all probably didn't have much. 
Um, no, like my roommate was an English major. And I remember she wouldn't even go to class till 11. She'd have like <laughs> 50 minute classes all day. Yeah. Ours was from seven to seven. Wow. So we're up at 6 a.m. We're at the yeah. hospital by 6.30 that we just left last night at 8 p.m. because we had to do our pre-planning. It's a whole nother ball game. Now, do you do you have any say in the rotations or are they rolling you through every major department or area? Of, yep, of you're, you're going to go through each one. Okay. Um, the only thing, uh, I'm thinking of Professor Glenn when we were doing pediatrics. Ooh, I did not do well in pediatrics. Um, and I have learned that I do not, uh, my heart hurts too much when I see sick kids because I feel mm. like they didn't do anything to deserve that. Right. And I could not get my emotional state in a place where I could be effective. So we we didn't know that that was going to happen. But I remember my first clinical, I got my patient and it ended up being a 15 month old with a brain tumor. And um, basically they were already on hospice. And so my job wow. was to administer the pain medication and support mom and dad, make sure that the environment was comfortable for them, which originally you hear and you think, wow, that's so rewarding and compassionate. Well, when I opened the door to introduce myself, the lights are low and she's got the um, little mobile playing on the ceiling and she's singing in a rocking chair to this baby. And I just lost it. Oh my God. And I just, I wasn't able to go back. And so I remember Professor Glenn, she took me outside. God makes me want to cry thinking about it today, but she said, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And so then we tried another kid. It was like three years old. That didn't work. So I ended up over in the teenager unit with an 18 year old <laughs> that yeah. had gotten in a car wreck and broke their foot. So I was okay with that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. That, uh, man, that's, uh, and, and again, like what can prepare you for that? Oh. Right. Unless you've gone through it as a family member or, or how, you know, how would you have any way of knowing what you're walking into? Um, mm -mm. It's got to be tough. Yeah. Yeah. So um, every nurse has their specialty and every nurse has the thing they can't do. Do you, do you feel like the specialty, you pick the specialty or the specialty picks you? I think the specialty picks you and it can change with your seasons of life. Mm. So I've noticed that in my own career, like, for example, when we were moving from Columbia to Charleston, I was looking for jobs. And at the time in Columbia, I was working in a medical ICU. So I was trying to find the same thing. Well, the only unit that was available was a cardiac ICU. And I remember thinking, Ugh, cardiac. Well, at the time, my stepdad got really sick and started having heart problems. And I was like, oh, this would actually be really good. So I ended up doing cardiac ICU the next three years. Um, similar to other areas um, that I was involved in, like for now, learning about Medicare and Medicaid as my parents age. Um, my yeah. one parent has Alzheimer's. So that's something I had no clue about how Medicare works, if what's available, what resources are out there. So it's been, uh, it's been in my mind, a godsend every time. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. I, so your first position out of school, was that at, at, down at Palmetto? That was it. At Palmetto now Prisma. Line. Yes. Right. So what, where, where were you placed there to start? So that was the medical ICU. And the way that worked, that program was phenomenal. So they had a new graduate res, nurse residency program that was six months long for their 
critical care rotation. Okay. So they had slot like two slots per ICU per year for new grads. Um, and then they invested everything they had into our success to teaching us and training us how to be critical care nurses. And fast forward, I realized not every hospital system's like that. Um, yeah. But we, we were trained by some of the most phenomenal educators you've ever seen. So how did that compare to, say, the, the friends you made in nursing school, their first uh, positions? Some that said that. Yeah, some said that they showed up on the unit and four weeks later they were given their own patients. They had a different preceptor every day. Um, some said that, uh, I mean, it, no, not, none that I remember had a nurse residency program other than Megan, who was in nursing school with me, and we both ended up in the medical ICU. But there, there is definitely not standardization across the board for nurse education. I think we've gotten better. Mm -hmm. But depending on the demand um, and what unit you're on, they could be severely understaffed. They're going to try their best to push you through and get you ready. Whereas if they've got time, they can nurture you and mentor you a little bit longer. Yeah. So is it that... thinking of your um, years of experience, I used to call that our skill mix. Okay. And so you want to make sure that each shift, especially night shift, has a good mix of those that are experts those that are middle of the road and those that are novice because you don't want to end up with everybody that's brand new. Right. So it really is up to the system then that you're in the hospital, the, the location, how they, how they run that, that program. And, and it's going to vary from place to place. It sounds like. Yeah. I've seen okay. you know, it's usually a corporate education approach. Outpatient was not like that at all. Um, actually my only outpatient position was the one with mental health. And that was the job that I was trained by my boss. Oh, really? <laughs> and I actually give credit to her. She's one of the most knowledgeable nurses yeah. I've ever worked with. Um, and one of the only bosses I've ever worked with that still did the work. Um, yeah. which is something that I really respected. Yeah. So, um, and I'm, I'm known to do the same. So I, I don't like to be too far from the patients. Yeah. This is starting out in... In, in any kind of ICU, is that is that pretty common for for new new nurses? No, it 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 would seem like it'd be something you would kind of get promoted into, right? It, it, after time, yeah, is it's that... a. They look at. Um, I want to say we had to have letters of recommendation. We had to show our our um, GPA. We went through a rigorous interview process. Yeah, and then we were chosen. So when I was a kid, you know, I call myself a kid when I was 22, <laughs> yeah. I didn't really think about it that much just because my drive was just, you know, we're, we're going for it. We're doing it. I'm on the, you know, take it once plan. I'm getting the job, blah, blah, blah. Now I'm an adult. And I'm like, holy crap. What was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> and what were they thinking? Like yeah. 22 year olds just run the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the, but, the blessing of, of not being aware of what you don't know, right? Uh, exactly. Yes. We call, <laughs> when I got my master's degree, they introduced that topic as incompetently incompetent. You don't yes. even know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, so but you're gonna run in there guns blazing anyway. <laughs> yes, it was fascinating. And I was so thankful for all of the people that we had in the, the program that they put us through, which the yeah. one rigorous piece or the one piece that I would have not liked was the they put us on two weeks of days and then two weeks of nights. And then two weeks of oh, days, and okay. two weeks of nights. That's mm. got to mess with your 
oh. your whole sleep and everything right and oh. I mean what is that like it's not good it's not good you never know if you're supposed to be shopping for groceries <laughs> or if you're supposed to be taking your shower or if now right. it's bed or you know when do you drink a beer I mean it's just right. everything in your life is like that doesn't make sense <laughs> <laughs> how long did that did that experience last uh with with that shift like that so I was there for a year and then we okay. moved to Charleston okay so Charleston where, where did you work in Charleston at Roper Hospital okay and that is that when you went into the the cardiovascular that was the cardiac yes okay so what what is that like? I've, I've I've not been in one of those and hope to never be uh, <laughs> as a patient, but you never know. <laughs> so what what's it like? So cardiac medicine is very organized. Okay. This is your place of protocols. We call them cookie cutter medicine. So you know if your potassium is this, do this. If mm. you've had a heart attack, take this medicine. Go to the cath lab provide this intervention. Do this post op. Here's your rehab. Blah blah blah. It's pretty by the book. Mm -hmm. um, and cardiovascular medicine has really improved over the years, like advanced tremendously. Um, my own stepfather is an example of that. Whereas in 1997, after his fourth major heart attack, we were told he was a ticking time bomb and to say goodbye. Um, wow. But fast forward, yeah. he stayed with us until this past April. When no he kidding. Died. So, but during that time frame, beta blockers came out, sure. additional cardiac interventions with stents and blood thinners and um, different medications to improve the heart muscle and how it functions, electrical parts. I mean, cardiac is, it's advanced. Um, right. But from a nursing perspective, it was, once you realize there were protocols for everything, it's pretty simple. Okay. So typically, I know you have people coming in for all different reasons and severities are, 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 when they get there it's obviously it's very very serious how long is an average stay in a cardiovascular icu so if uh, you have like a massive heart attack we call those stemmies which are mm -hmm. that's talking to the electrical components of the heart the heart's like a car you've got the muscle and you've got the electrical part so in a stemmy which is the st elevated myocardial myocardial infarction if you can catch that in the first hour, identify it in the field with an EKG, start the protocol in the ambulance, get them to the cath lab and open that vessel. In theory, they could probably go to a step down unit the next day or the day after. So those are fast turnaround now. Right. If you end up with a coronary artery bypass, like a cabbage, um, where mm -hmm. they actually open you and replace the arteries that are clogged. Um, they have you sitting up on the side of the bed the same day of your surgery, but then you okay. stay in the ICU for at least a night or two. Um, if you have a heart attack and are not necessarily found in time, CPR must be performed and we initiate something like hypothermia. That is a minimum of 72 hours of okay. being in a medically induced coma while we decrease your temperature and basically freeze your organs to protect your brain. And after 72 hours, we rewarm um, and begin neurological checks to see what do we have left. So that those patients are sicker. So how, on average, how many patients are you responsible for at a given time in, in a unit like that? In an ICU, uh, nationally, two to one okay. is the ICU. There are also a lot of patients that are one-on-one. -on -one. Okay. Um, and then there are some patients that are two nurses to one patient. Okay. So it's, it's a, yeah, it's labor is, 
is part of that also managing the family members and keeping them kind of up to date with what's going on? Oh, yeah. So there's a lot of education provided there. And I'll say that when I first started as a nurse, ICU was weird. There was only two visitation periods the whole day. The family members were allowed in for 30 minutes, um, you know, between 11 and 1130 and then six and 630. But then they weren't allowed any other time. To me, it always kind of felt foreign. Mm -hmm. um, and then thankfully, by around the year 2000, seven or eight. Now, mind you, Western um, states like California and um, Northern states, New York, had open visitation in the early 2000s, but it took South Carolina a little way to get there. Okay. And by 2012, we even had visitation allowed in the recovery room. So oh, what okay. I've learned is patients and families do better when they're together. Mm. And as long as I'm doing a good job establishing boundaries, right. I've never had a problem with that. That so, makes a lot of sense, though. I yeah. to just, I mean, from a patient perspective, feeling like you're not you're not alone in this foreign place. It's you know, you, if your loved ones are with you, that would seem like they would be a a source of not just a comfort, but maybe even inspiration. Dare I say? I mean, that's 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 yeah. Uh, yeah most that's patients that are in the ICU are on life support, right? They're sedated and they've got a breathing tube, right? Um, you know, and who am I to them? Nobody, right? Right. And so there's two arguments there. There, there's the the side of the fence of this is my office, like the patient's mm -hmm. room is my office. You know, I don't go in your office. I'll let you get your <laughs> job done. Um, but then there's the other side of, but wait a minute, their office doesn't have your loved one. Right. And could you imagine if you're at the bank and they're like, give me your kid and shut the door. Like you're not. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. No, thanks. That way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I remember one of the doctors said at one point, because he found out that a child was, that's the other thing. There was an age limit. So if you're like under the age of 12, you're not allowed. Okay. Well, um, one of the physicians said, because we had a mom and she had uh, pulmonary hypertension from uh, a use of diet pills in college and didn't realize, you know, back in the day that ephedrine that women yeah. would take, oh, yeah. and skinny, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah. that really was with their cardiovascular system. Fast forward, she's got small children now and she's really dying. So unless she gets a transplant, she's not going to make it. And so they were going to take her in for a specific procedure. Um, and she was crying and he realized that the nurse had said that her children couldn't come back because they were too young. And the physician brought everybody in the hallway and he said, we're missing the boat here. Yeah. Wow. We're getting this wrong. <laughs> and I'll <laughs> never want you to hold family back from my patients again. <laughs> <laughs> this is my job, but that's her, that's her life. Yeah. So yeah. I was, it was neat to see the shift in healthcare. What a cool moment. Yeah. 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 So speaking of that, so how long were you in that, in that uh, role in that unit? That unit was three years. Okay. So I mentioned part of the, the challenge in that role is managing, for lack of a better term, the different personalities of physicians that are going to come through there, right? Oh yeah. So, so so tell us about that because that that has to be a, a unique skill that involves uh, I would think a high level of emotional intelligence and um, organization. So so how how did you manage that? Lacked in my early twenties. That okay. did not exist for Liza. So so, so how did um, you cope with that? It, well, not very well. <laughs> but <laughs> I was by saying, fire. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, 
uh, probably too much booze after work, not enough sleep, too much gossip. Yeah. Uh, but the the thing is, is that's the other thing healthcare is getting right. We understand now that the culture of our work environment is what drives patient outcomes. So really? if okay. you're not focused on professionalisms and behaviors, you can't identify failures, improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't prevent things from happening. So that's when they see in hospital systems that have a poor work environment, um, which is identified as like, you know, do I feel respected by my peers? Do I feel comfortable to tell my boss if I mess up? Um, do I have all the tools and equipment to do my job effectively? These, these soft skill things, but they're mm-hmm. very important. So we see that when that's bad, patient error goes way up. That's interesting. You start hanging the wrong message. You start administering blood to the wrong person. You start skipping things. You start missing things. Um, And that's that's honestly the reason why I left. Why do you think that is? (laughs) Why why do you think that is? (laughs) Why do Why do you think that's the case that those things occur? Because people stop talking. Mm -hmm. If they don't feel like they can be heard, what's the point? Mm -hmm. So they're going to do the best they can with what they've got, but they're not going to invest and the success. You know, they're, they're not, for example, one of the books that I read talked about employees as either you're a renter or you're an owner and you want your staff to be owners so that when they walk in the building, they own it just like they do their home. Right. Think about it as renters. They're not going to fix the dent in the wall if they make it. Yeah. Home, but yeah who cares? Is. It's not my problem. Right. I'm just yeah. here to sleep. Right. So it's the same concept. Yeah. Were you a part of, uh, you know, kind of an, an informal, not necessarily leadership, because I know you had some leadership roles, but in, in that case, when you're not technically a, a supervisor, are you able as a kind of a peer leader, informal leader, are you, are you able to help craft that culture or does that have to come from, from the kind of the top down? It can definitely come from the bottom. It does better when it comes from colleagues, um, when mm-hmm. it has the support from leadership, but the work has to be done from peer to peer. And mm-hmm. that's, so when I left um, Roper Hospital, I transitioned over to the medical university. I was new in grad school. I yeah. knew that I wanted an academic medical center, which was the medical university. And when I got there, actually, some of the things that I started learning about in graduate school was something called shared governance. And they talked about things like practice council, councils, quality councils, and what that means for nursing and evidence-based practice and all Mm -hmm. these, you know, latest and greatest things. And so what I was learning is if the nurses, which are the largest workforce of a healthcare system, if they are involved in the decisions that directly impact patient care, you can improve. You can become the best facility in the world. Right. Um, But when that power is taken away from them, those that are doing the work is when you're, you're constantly second. You're never able to come out first. So that's when I went to my boss and I said, uh, I can't remember if she came to me or if I went to her first, because I will say that manager was pro nursing um, empowerment. Anyway, so I started the first unit practice quality council and became the chair and okay. recruited my peeps. And we yeah. would sit down and be like, what are we doing? And I would throw out things and they'd be like, oh yeah, that." mm-mm. Whatever IV they got the, you know, this newest one that they're getting, it breaks every time. That thing never works. Or, you know, the tubing for this is stupid. Or have you noticed that the Foley for that brand always kinks? So we started doing like our internal studies and uh, we were taken seriously. 
Is that something you picked up from grad school where you read about yes. this concept and they're like, hey, let's try this here. Here's an opportunity to, to try it in real life. Yeah, because I had to turn in papers on projects anyway. <laughs> and that right. And and that had, I take it that had not had that approach had not been taken before in that in, in that, that particular unit, no, but as okay. the medical university, there were other areas that were yeah. doing the same thing. But you were able to so, take and say, hey, here's a concept I want to try. Did you know it was happening other places? Or was it like, hey, here's this thing I I want to I want to try? And they they put some faith in this grad student <laughs> well yeah so once I once I kind of got started with it my leader was really good at helping me network with the other areas and started okay. conversations and then there was a nurse that was employed that had finished graduate school and that became her full-time job was to initiate this shared governance structure amongst nursing in the in the hospital and she was so cool to work with Oh, wow. So um, it just all, like I said, it all just kind of would always yeah. fall in place at the right time. Um, so I, I'm lucky. What are the things, yeah. What are the things you remember from that experience? That you, like you, you, the big takeaways and and kind of maybe some of the victories that you guys had in, in sort of from an impact perspective. It is so important to understand change is hard mm. when it's right and it needs to be done the focus must be on the strategy of implementation because if you get it right, people are on board like this. If you get it wrong, you could be years down the road trying to figure it out. But one oh, of the really? first things to think about is what resistance am I gonna meet? So, so identifying those barriers up front. So one, you can script around them. Two, you can research and figure out how other police places that had the same barriers dealt with it. Um, and, and that's huge. So understanding that change management piece, because okay. I remember, um, remember me telling you about the doctor who had the um, lady? Anyways, so one of the projects that we did was on opening visitation for the recovery room. <laughs> so, that, that was a project you guys- Yes. Started, <laughs> and so- and I can think of a few, I'm not going to name their names and I'm still yeah. friends with all of them. Um, but I can think of a few that were like, oh, hell no, absolutely <laughs> not. This is never happening. This is the dumbest shit I've ever heard of. And that's the physician saying that? No, that's or the, the nurse. That's the nurse. Okay. The okay. So that's the um, people you need, you need to win their support. Yes. So what do you do when you get a hell no? Uh, you go find like, somebody that they respect? I from this experience is where I learned the importance of identifying the possible resistance. Right. This is the actual project that taught me you need to learn change management principles. So okay. um, I, it all started with just kind of putting feelers out there like, hey, have you heard that some places are opening their recovery rooms for visitation? And some would be like, that would be awesome because that would be so much easier if they could come back here and I could go over their discharge with them yeah. rather than me having to go out there, you having to cover my patient, then me having to come back to, and others would be like, what, what kind of shit is that? <laughs> I'd be like, what, what? Yeah, that sounds terrible. What, what do you think? You know, I just yeah. kind of like, I would just kind of go with each of them and get them to spill. Yeah. Um, and then you would identify kind of who was in what camp and who yes. you needed to build an alliance with and yes 
Yeah. Which like, I already like had said, rapport with all of them. Yeah. I mean, this was a, this was a very high performing team. We, we got along well. It was one of those places where you didn't even have to think everybody just did everything. Right. Um, it, it was just a fantastic work team. Uh, yeah. But that didn't mean that, you know, you still didn't have your, your blues and your greens and your oranges and your apples. Sure. Yeah. Opposing teams. Yeah. That's interesting. So, I mean, perfect example of, I was talking to about this the other day about, you know, we, you go to a doctor's office, you go to a hospital. Um, you know, our daughter recently broke her arm, uh, my eight-year-old gym, gymnast, and and uh, it was a uh, back handspring gone wrong. <laughs> and, uh, so we're, but it, you know, we go in there, it was her first trip to an emergency room, uh, uh, thankfully, and and it went great. But, you know, all this stuff's happening and and you're you're kind of in a, it's a blur. You, you just, you know, you see doctors coming, nurses coming, going, you have no idea what goes on behind the scenes to make that level of care possible? And what a perfect example of, you know, patients come in to a recovery room. If they've never been in that unit before, they have no idea that that used to be not a thing, that they weren't allowed back there. And they have no idea what had to happen to get. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, no one's going to tell them the story. It's just it's just so cool to hear <laughs> kind of behind the scenes of what had, to, at least in your perspective, uh, from and that in that in that unit uh what had to happen to to make that possible it's very and cool. did you think with your daughter um it's it's funny that you say that so our six-year-old daughter broke her arm on new year's eve and we were at prisma in the er and had a fantastic experience but yeah. did you guys get the benefit of the child life specialist we did and so it's funny you mentioned that so she comes in i literally i picked her up from the gym she's in her leotard and everything and, and we're driving and i remember thinking like all right, I'm I'm pretty cool with this stuff, but every time I look in the rearview mirror, I see her arm looks like a noodle. I'm like, all right, I, this isn't gonna I work. Know. Like, so but my other dog's hey, put a towel on that thing so she doesn't look at it. You know, <laughs> it's really used for me, so I wouldn't look at it. <laughs> and so we get there, and they were just so sweet. They were, yeah, they come in, you know, and 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 um, we we go in there, and and this lady comes in, and and after the doctor explained what was going to happen, and and she's talking to my daughter and, and like, a you know, on her level, um, you know, like, like, uh, using her language, straw. And, we're going to put a straw so your arm can drink. Yeah. 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 And I'm thinking like, okay, first I'm like, this is a little weird. Like where, where is this going? Is this, is this really, you know, part of me is like, is this really taxpayer money well spent? <laughs> and then, <laughs> right. I mean, that's my initial reaction. Like, what the heck is this? And then I watched, I just watched my daughter's reaction. I watched her nonverbal, I watched her face and and I saw her countenance totally change because for the first time, here's somebody that's speaking to her on her level. And after that, not that it wasn't bad, I mean, she made it known to everybody who would listen in that whole unit. I didn't cry. I'm tough. I'm not scared. And, um, and, yeah. But it was, I think, I, I do believe a big part of that was the confidence that, that life specialist uh gave her from just having a conversation on her level so anyway that was our experience well um, and i believe now i have not researched this but i believe that whole program was originated from a nurse who did research and development so that's evidence-based medicine right based on how we can improve outcomes with our kids that have had trauma yeah, so that's just an example of, of where that, that came is from. so cool, though. Yeah, I, it would. Yeah. No, I would it wouldn't shock me one bit if, if that's exactly where it came from, because that's not it doesn't seem like the sort of thing that would come from hospital administration. Right. And it doesn't seem like the sort of thing that would come from a physician, a group of physicians necessarily. Uh, maybe it would. I don't know. But 
it it just has the feel of of appealing uh, more on a on a on a emotional level to mm-hmm. to calm and and make somebody feel secure and safe and that that uh, and again I mean I, I'm sure it's it's a little easier maybe when they're a little bit older but to to be a someone who's in their 20s or 30s or 40s and to be able to shift gears mentally to be able to think and communicate as a five year old I I couldn't do that. Mm-mm. I mean that takes especially a lot when it's of your skill. kid, yeah. Especially yeah. when it's your child. We're, we're mm-hmm. I need the specialist. Are you free this weekend? We could we could use you at home. Uh, you, you help with cleaning rooms and and. Because uh... <laughs> remember, I said I don't do kids. That was a bad day. That's <laughs> that right. Yeah. Day. So man, so that just anyway that that's really cool. Thank you for sharing. That's such a really cool uh, example. Um, and now you know I'm never going to look at things in a hospital the same way now. Thank you for joining us for part one of our conversation with Liza Lounsbury. Be sure to check out part two of our conversation with Liza, which is available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music. To learn more about conversations with healthcare heroes, follow us on YouTube at Healthcare Heroes Show. Please direct all show inquiries to healthcareheroeshow at gmail.com.